A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have Allison Wagenfeld with me, who is the CMO of Google Cloud. Allison, hi, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. You know, we've been chatting for a few months now, and I'm so excited that the day is here where we get to chat about all the fun things that you're doing. But why don't we start with you just giving us an overview of what you're doing now at Google Cloud and why you took that on. Great. So I joined Google Cloud about two and a half years ago to head up marketing for all of Google's enterprise-oriented businesses. And collectively, those are best known as Google Cloud Platform, which is where we have all of our data and storage and AI and analytics technology, and also G Suite, which is our incredible collaboration productivity applications such as Gmail and Docs and Drive, and all of those are together in a suite for businesses. And it was super excited to come here and be able to bring all of this great technology to market. Wow. And so much for us to dig into. But tell us a little bit about your path to get to where you are, because it's quite an unusual path, right? It is. You know, so I've always been driven by looking for roles where I can make an impact. And originally, that was coming out to California right after business school and going to Intuit, where I had the opportunity to start the Quicken Loans business for Intuit. So it was really fun to listen to your podcast with a current CMO of Quicken Loans, because boy, has that grown. (laughs) You know, that was a background about how do you help people apply for mortgages and get a loan using technology. And then I went over to a startup as the VP of marketing and helped build that company out. I've always been an entrepreneur and I've always liked to be a builder. And then I had an opportunity to head up Harvard Business School's California Research Center, which was all about writing and teaching about entrepreneurship and marketing, and felt like I could really make an impact by helping students around the world learn more about how to make different kinds of decisions that would really help them grow companies. And from there, I started missing being closer to the action. And a friend of mine was the founder of Emergence Capital, a venture capital firm that invests in enterprise cloud companies. And I had been learning more and more about cloud technology while at Harvard Business School and was excited to work with that partnership as an operating partner to help startups grow and helping them think about their go-to-market strategies. So it was all kinds of different ways about helping make an impact. And then this opportunity at Google came along 
and I had been following the incredible technology that Google Cloud had, I thought, well, what an incredible role to be responsible for building out the marketing to bring this technology to the world. And the opportunity to do that all at scale with an incredible team and working really closely with our product and engineering leaders to really show what's possible with cloud technology was such an incredible opportunity. It was too good to pass up. So I want to ask you thousands of questions because I'm fascinated by uh, the cloud in general and particularly Google Cloud. But you recently, in, well, was a few months ago, had this incredible event called Next 18, where you were really showcasing what's possible, right? Yeah, so our whole marketing vision for Google Cloud is we call it show, don't tell. And we want our customers and prospects and companies and um, education institutions as well to be able to imagine what is possible using cloud technology. But it's much less impactful just to tell someone like, oh, you can use analytics or you can use AI. It's much better to be able to provide real customers telling real stories. And we did that in this huge event called Google Cloud Next in July of this year. It was actually the fifth year we did this event before my time it was started. But two years ago when I started, it had 2,000 people. And this year in 2018, we had 23,000 people in San Francisco. So just incredible scaling. And the scaling was an opportunity because so many more people were curious and want to know about how Google Cloud can help them. And so we set out to deliver an experience for our attendees that enabled them to get hands-on and interact with other companies and learn from peers and had our own technologists all over the place and had this huge showcase where we broke down different verticals about what's possible with cloud technology. And we kept hearing from attendees, it was like no other event they'd ever gone to because it had the like the experiential and fun elements of Google events like Google IO and other elements, but in a B2B setting and most B2B events, frankly, are pretty boring. And this was so not boring. It was just <laughs> energy everywhere. So it was really a big milestone for all of us. And it was a great opportunity for engineers and product people to meet with customers firsthand as well. Okay. So fascinating. And you're talking about real live examples and there's one that comes to mind that you guys just did recently, which is B2C oriented, which was really fun. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, but um, first let's talk about the event and how you approach that because as the lead marketer for Google cloud, this was a massive undertaking. Like how did you, I mean, you went from 2000 to 23,000 people in a few years. Like how did you think about that as you were planning that out? Yeah, well, it starts with having an incredible team. So we had really good leaders here from both the central Google marketing organization and our own Google cloud marketing team who help work with me and Diane and the rest of our team on a vision for what an event should be. And it's really our vision for all of marketing. It should be interesting and engaging, but also educational and entertaining and inspiring and trying to do all of that together. And so we grounded all the decisions we made and what we wanted the experience to feel like. And then we had this really strong creative team as well that was able to bring this vision to life through, even this year, um, instead of having just regular screens, we had cubes on stage where actually the cubes spun and the demos or everything like that happened on stage. So the live event was interesting. The online event, we had hundreds of thousands of people who could then watch later all of the different showcases and different elements from the keynotes. 
So everything about it was in this very scaled, inspiring way. It was an incredible team who brought this to life. So let's talk about your team. How many people are on your team or maybe how many different functions? And then how do you work cross-functionally within Google Cloud? We are organized functionally, but within our functions, we also focus on our different product areas. So we have a creative and brand team. We have product marketing who works really closely with our sales and with our product and eng teams. We have a team focused on partners because partners are a really key part of how we go to market. We have a regional field team with people around the world who are helping bring all of the technology out to our customers in ways that make sense to them. We have a strategy and ops group that helps make sure that we're running the business as well as we can be and also have an industry area as well because increasingly we're seeing customers really understand what's possible through an industry lens and being able to tell those stories that way is really impactful. Collectively, that's how we bring everything to market. And it's been um, really fun. And then uh, finally, last but certainly not least, a team around events and strategic initiatives that um, had an opportunity to really define our next experiences globally and make that come to life. Okay, so that's a lot of moving parts and pieces. You know, if I kind of take a step back and think about where you started in creating Quicken Loans, which that was fun to talk to Casey the other day, to now Google Cloud. I mean, did you ever think you would become a CMO? That's interesting. I've always been an entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 10. I sold Barrett's, Berkeley's Barrett's. And I've always really liked marketing. So I've always liked trying to connect, understand why people make the decisions that they do. And marketing almost has like a psychology component to it. And I had liked roles that combine those two. And that was part of what Quicken Loans was all about at the beginning, was understanding why people might use the internet to make mortgage decisions. And I don't think I ever had a specific vision, like I want to be a CMO. It was, I increasingly had roles that had more responsibility in the marketing area. But even after taking somewhat of a detour through my work at Harvard Business School and at Emergence Capital, I always came back to the marketing aspect of it because I also really like the storytelling elements. And I like the feeling that you can help customers understand what's possible and be able to inspire them to do more. And I think marketing enables you to be able to do that. And it's really rewarding for me to be able to see the impact of having someone start using our technology and know that they were introduced to it through some of the marketing work that we did. Okay. Yeah. So impact for sure. I mean, there's tons of examples all over the place about how you've been able to have an impact. It was interesting. Last week I was at the Brand Genius Awards and met Courtney Blacker, who won one of the awards that evening for the work that you guys did with the NCAA, leveraging AI and real-time ads. And I thought, oh my God, I've never even looked at Google Cloud in this way. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so we had this great opportunity. We want to be able to show what's possible with our own technology. And we're around the same vision of show, don't tell that we talked about before. And we did a partnership with the NCAA and specifically looking at March Madness because we knew that it was important from a marketing side to build the brand of Google Cloud. The brand itself is only two years old. When I came here and started working with Diane, we renamed what had been Google for Work into Google Cloud. And we wanted an opportunity to introduce this brand to a wide audience. And so we thought that the March Madness tournament would be a great way to do that. 
But what we really wanted to do was show what the technology could do in a way that was really engaging for audiences because we just didn't want to be more like boring B2B ads. And so we decided to take a risk and we want to show what you can do with data. So why don't we do that with NCAA data? But rather than taking historical data, we took a risk and said, let's create live TV commercials showing how powerful our machine learning predictions are by looking at the data from the first half of the game, creating an ad literally during halftime and showing that 30 second spot right at the beginning of the second half that makes predictions about the second half of the game. And then we'd be able to do that in an engaging, compelling way and see how accurate our predictive technology could be. And so we decided to do this live. We had a track over like right outside the stadium down in San Antonio last year. And it was hard and interesting and fun. And ultimately, we created these live TV commercials that ended up being really accurate and really fun about the amount of rebounds or the amount of turnovers, all kinds of different stats that you could predict. So it was an example of showing what's possible. The theme of the whole commercials was know what your data knows. And we were able to share with audiences in a way that was interesting for potential users of Google Cloud technology and the general public about the power of using AI and ML and how you could get insights from data in new ways. Wow. Okay. So I love that for so many reasons because, I mean, often we talk about taking risks on CMO moves, but that's a big risk. I mean, you basically put it out there live on the line. And if your predictions were way off, that would have been a major issue, right? Yeah, for sure. So we were like over 93% accurate, I think, on all of our predictions, which was awesome. We have really strong technologists from Google Cloud who were working and created these really interesting models. We, of course, couldn't predict who would win or lose games, as tempting as that might be, but that would be illegal. But um, we did have fun able to predict what we could and it was super exciting. Then the whole second half of the game, we'd be like, one more rebound. Wait, they nailed it. Great. We were accurate. (laughs) It was just risky on so many dimensions, but really broke through and created a lot of buzz. And it was an opportunity then for our sales teams to go out and talk about what's possible in ways that was very relatable because often AI and ML can feel really complex. And when you can distill it into examples where most people can understand what's happening and relate it to life as they're living it, then it's really compelling. And I'd love to talk about AI specifically a little bit more, but before I just latch on to that one, because that's always a hot topic, what were some of the key things that as you grew through your career and you started recognizing and becoming aware and researching different technology components. Is there something that stands out to you as well? This is super exciting. And and one of the reasons that you decided to go to Google Cloud. Yeah. So I'm going to go back in time to answer that first way back when, what brought me into technology in the first place, and then I'll take it to the current day. So the original reason I moved out to Silicon Valley from the East Coast is when I was investment banker. That was the first thing I did right out of college. I worked at Morgan Stanley and I was over in Hong Kong for a year And halfway through the year, they turned on email for us, which I know dates me tremendously. (laughs) But um, we won't talk about that. And it completely changed how we worked. Because suddenly, instead of like staying up till midnight every night, trying to do everything ourselves, we were able to send things over to colleagues in New York, who then from what was 8 p.m. in Hong Kong was 8 a.m. there, they would work, we'd come back the next morning, like little elves during the night, all these things got done. 
And it was a completely different way of working essentially 24 hours without it being a complete burden on everybody. And it was just so collaborative. And I had this like real aha moment that technology completely changes how we can do work. And I wanted to go be part of technology in general. And at the time, that was just really early internet days. So during the summer at business school, I worked at Microsoft as a product manager. And then when I graduated is when I went to Intuit. And so I've always had that as a backdrop is like, how can technology change what we do? And that's one of the things I love so much about G Suite, the product I get to market now, because it's so transformative for companies when they switch to working in individual docs that then they save and send versus collaborating with people on the same doc they realize, wow, it's just a completely different way of getting things done and often so much more fun. And then with Google Cloud Platform, that takes it to even a bigger level because when you find out how artificial intelligence, different models make predictions about things like healthcare and be able to predict whether or not somebody is going to be more likely to be readmitted to the hospital based on a whole bunch of data signals that a doctor alone would have a hard time interpreting, or when you can do better diagnoses through image recognition of looking at tumors, for example, and maybe catch something that a human couldn't catch. When I start seeing how you can train models to solve problems in essentially every part of the world, it's so compelling. We just had this day last week called AI Realized, where we brought over 15 customers onto a stage in an event in San Francisco to share what they're actually doing with Google AI technology and everything from how they're hiring better to changing how people search for homes online. It was kind of one example of after another. And I think it just really blew people away about the far-reaching implications of artificial intelligence and how where we are today in some ways with AI is where we were with the internet way back when, when we started using email. And we're just super early. And I'm just excited to see what's possible. Me too. And you know, what's interesting is you, you mentioned healthcare. I just had Dave Edelman on the show as the CMO of Aetna. And like right at the last minute of his podcast, he started talking about AI. I'm like, Dave, man, you wait till the last minute to talk about that. But it is so fascinating. The whole podcast with Dave was really fascinating. I mean, he's just brilliant when it comes to digital transformation. But let's talk about AI then, because a lot of people are actually afraid of AI, whether it's they don't know how to get the skills to really leverage it, adopt it, enroll it as part of their teams. A lot of people are worried about job security, but I think we are all discovering there's so many different ways to think about this. What would you recommend to somebody out there who is trying to embrace AI? Like, how do you think about the people versus technology composition? Yeah, so there's a lot of dimensions to that question. And I'll answer it initially as from marketers and then look at it more broadly. And what's happening now is what's kind of referred to in the industry as democratization of AI, of making it more available and accessible. It used to be that you had to be a really advanced computer scientist to be able to benefit from AI. And what we're doing today, and Google Cloud is really leading in this area, is creating machine learning models. We have things called AutoML, for example, where you do not need to understand all of the details of how the technology works but you can still get the benefits of it. So you can put in, for example, if you're a retail company and you can train a model about what people search for, like with a whole bunch of pictures of black shirts. And then when somebody wants to search for a black shirt and you have a whole big image library, it will find them all. 
And so there's ways that you don't need to understand that image recognition worked. You need to understand what is it that you're trying to predict. You're trying to predict that the next image that you upload is also a black shirt. And so there's different ways to do that in digital marketing and e-commerce. And marketers are also doing it in ways to predict what's the next likely product that people would be able to buy. And you can do that by using some of these ML classifications. I think what marketers should be doing is becoming friendly with their IT teams. And so most strong marketers are already doing that. And because then they can brainstorm together about, well, is this something that we can use pre-existing technology for, or is this something that we have to build from scratch? Because if you're going to build a model from scratch, then you need more advanced um, skills and experiences. The other part that's really interesting is thinking through what is responsible AI, because that's also something that's a really hot topic now. And from what we're seeing so far, it's not about job loss. It's about changing the kinds of work that people do because a lot of responsible AI gets into the topic of jobs and changing how you make a call center rep enjoy their job more because they're not doing the same boring parts at the beginning of each call asking about what did you buy and let me look you up, but you're starting right away with knowing as much as you can so you can really help solve the problem. And I think frankly, that just makes job satisfaction much higher if you know that you're helping people faster. So I go been really thoughtful about all of these different aspects of responsible AI and I think other companies as well. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see all the different applications. And, you know, I see more and more and more examples coming to life. And particularly in uh, the Innovator Series that we just launched uh, not too long ago, we just featured uh, Hill City Gap and their use of AI to power the discussion through Facebook Messenger with consumers. And that was pretty cool to see. So that happens to be actually one of the most advanced shop experiences that is uh, on Facebook Messenger now. So is that something that you think is going to become sort of packaged and ready to go for people that they can just use, like you said, something that's already halfway produced for them that they can insert easily into their own systems? I think that we're going to see more and more applications that are being built. And there's startups that are doing a great job here. There's vertical specific companies in different kinds of areas. It's just this giant ecosystem that is being built right now. And I think when we look back in five and 10 years, where we are today will feel really primitive compared to where what's going to be possible really soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, you just mentioned another great topic when you say looking back five or 10 years from now, what do you think uh, it's going to be like in five or 10 years from now? Not to put you on the spot, but is there something that you think is rapidly advancing other than AI that we should be paying attention to? Oh, I think there's all kinds of things. <laughs> you know, and from a technology standpoint, I think that AI and machine learning is one of the strongest areas. I think there's also aspects around voice. I think that we're going to see a lot more around what we call the Google assistant, but assistance in general in your work. So I don't know if you use Gmail right now, but where it kind of finishes sentences for you based on the way that you've already done things like, so you can imagine all of the things that could be helped in productivity in terms of what you're writing or what you're creating, or if you're starting a, um, a new slides deck, kind of prompting you with the best way to format something. So I think we'll see lots and lots in G Suite of assistant ways to be more productive. And I think in general, everybody will benefit from that. And then I think that it's, um, we'll start seeing increasingly more in different verticals 
where companies are then creating custom experiences using cloud technology. And what is also happening that's interesting is there's more collaboration among companies in certain places because one company's data alone is less powerful than if you combine data for, from multiple companies. Like we're seeing this right now in the hiring space where Google has some AI predictive ways to help people find jobs and to help companies recruit people. And if they combine different job descriptions and which ones have been successful, then they can be uh, more helpful about how could I change this job description or how can I help people search better? So we're seeing collaboration and I hope we'll continue to see that kind of collaboration among companies to solve really hard problems around the world. Allison, I could talk to you all day about this and just take lots and lots of notes with everything that you share. So thanks uh, for providing that input there. You're literally on the cutting edge of everything and you've got to stay current. You've got to stay future focused. What advice do you give people who are trying to tackle the world of technology and all the things that we were just talking about as they prepare for the next 10 years? Or what advice did you get along the way that helped you to be in the spot that you're in? So I would start with be curious, ask a lot of questions, go outside your comfort zone Get outside your company and go visit other companies. Or if you see somebody doing something interesting, reach out to them and ask, you know, how did you do this? Why did you do this? And read a ton. I'm constantly reading new articles. And some of the things are more technical. I do not have a computer science degree, but I've been working in product and technology now for 20 years. And so I have been able to learn, but it's through a lot of learning and asking questions. And so I would start there. And I would also kind of think about really hard problems that you want to solve, because I think that we're at a stage with technology where we can start tackling things that before seemed kind of like, oh, we can't do that. And before saying that, like, this would be too hard to do, whether it's in any kind of company, think about can technology help do that? And I think that as marketers and CMOs, we have this opportunity to be part of the conversation and we can bring a lot and we can help translate what our companies can do to our customers and to prospects. And I think that um, CMOs play a really key role right now in making all this possible. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, it's interesting. I, I think back to what you said uh, a few minutes ago about, you know, get really close as a marketer with your IT teams. And um, I remember a few years ago, I was talking with Cammie Dunaway, who used to be the president and global CMO at Kidzania. And she said, yeah, I mean, it, you have to be BFFs. And what she discovered is that there was a language barrier, very much like French and German, and there needed to be some translator between the two. So she actually went and took a decoding class just to brush up on some terms, if you will. And as you said, you know, you don't have a computer science degree, but have there been tricks that you've learned along the way that help you have a more productive conversation with your IT teams or that can help? make it easier for everyone to be productive? So I don't think there's any tricks per se. I think it's having a general level of curiosity. I think it's helping the other people you talk to understand why you're asking questions so that you can start with, well, I want to be able to tell the world about the product that you're building, but I'm not sure I understand all of the benefits of it. If I'm CEO of this company, why would I care? And having the engine technology people start with talking through the benefits as opposed to starting with just the product. And then you can back into the details of the product and engineering, but then you can frame it in a way that might uh, resonate a little bit more 
than just starting with, well, we developed this kind of database so that it can do X, Y, and Z. Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. Well, we are unfortunately getting close to being out of time. I just have two more questions for you. If you could offer any tip to anyone who is developing their career in marketing at this point, you've given a few already, but what would your number one tip be? I think it's really critical to be comfortable with technology. And so we've been talking about some of the science parts of marketing, but do not ever walk away from the really creative storytelling part because you would never want to over pivot and miss the part that makes marketing magical, which is that combination of art and science and being able to tell stories in a way that resonate with customers is really at the essence of what marketing is all about. And so as awesome as the technology is, always go back to the why does it matter and what do we want people to think and to feel and to do and don't lose sight of that. That's perfect advice. And I'm going to print all that out and write it and frame it and put it on my wall. How about that? Um. <laughs> no. well, it's just, it's, you don't ever want to pivot too far one. Like as a CMO, your role is to be thinking about all of the tools in your toolbox and you would never want to move too far away from the kind of the essence of what we do, which is connecting with people. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Now I'm super curious. My last question, if you weren't the CMO of Google Cloud or CMO at all for that matter, and money and talent were no object, what would you be doing? You know, so I've been fortunate that I've loved all of the work that I've done. So I'd probably go back into one of the previous things that I've done, either back into venture capital where I'm helping entrepreneurs build businesses because there's nothing like being at the early stages and having a vision and wanting to do something big and awesome. And I found it really energizing to work with entrepreneurs or it would be teaching. I really um, enjoyed that aspect at Harvard Business School where I could connect with students and help them think differently about and educate. And so students are at such an interesting inflection point in their lives and you can really change the trajectory of people's lives by capturing and connecting with them at that point and found it really um, interesting, compelling in an educational setting. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? That is actually a very consistent trend with a lot of CMOs that I chat with that they would like to be in a teaching role at some point, but that is actually what you guys are already doing, right? As CMOs, you're helping to teach and nurture and foster uh, the innovative thinking and the talent of tomorrow. So thanks for that and all that you do to help us figure out what's happening next in the world with technology and marketing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun to talk with you and I love what you do with your podcast to be able to spread lots of wisdom from so many different marketers around the world. Absolute pleasure and a true joy. And I'm just so grateful that I have that opportunity to share your story. So thanks. Great. Well, thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 